Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Andrew Fishwick, Group Chief Executive at Salt and the Pepper Collective in London. Coming up on today's show... Andrew reveals his mantra for successful business. I got to the point in my career where I just I kept saying I'm too old and too grumpy. I just, I, I want it to be fun. Phil conducts some business live on the show. If that appears in your uh, your marketing plan anywhere, then I'll take 10% of that. And Andrew recounts one particular story of high risk. And we quite often stop for a pint on the way with about 100 grand of cash in the bags. All that and so much more as Andrew talks us through his story and journey to date, as well as some excellent learning in here about the fun side of business and what it's like to work alongside geniuses. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we welcome someone who is at the helm of not one, but two organisations. Firstly, Group CEO of SALT, a marketing consultancy specialising in food and drink. And secondly, Group CEO of the Pepper Collective, a consultancy focused on creating new hospitality experiences. I am delighted to welcome Andrew Fishwick. Good morning. It's a huge pleasure to be here, Phil. Thank you. You're very welcome. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Surviving. Yeah, well. Which is my new KPI at the moment. I think that's about as far as any of us can get, isn't it? Surviving. Yeah. <laughs> it's a low bar, but... <laughs> I, you know, I had a chap called Dave Hart who was on a few weeks back, and um, he said that uh, one of his board members said to him that, that surviving is the new thriving or something like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're still here and you're still... So still battling away then well done yeah i'm chalking that up to a win yeah absolutely <laughs> so where in the world are you today you find this morning in a very drizzly overcast gray primrose hill up in northwest london yeah it's drizzly and gray here in stansted too um but yeah well let's just get cracking let's get straight into it take, take yeah, us let's bring some sunshine all the way back <laughs> to the beginning of your career how did you get into hospitality in the first place so I have a, a, a very uh, traditional origin story in terms of hospitality. I was a barman. I, when I came to London to go to college, I had to work my way through to earn money to survive in this city. And one of the first jobs I got was opening the Bishopsgate branch of Pitcher and Piano in about 1990. Oh, I should have done my math, shouldn't I? <laughs> about 96, 97, maybe. Right. And it, it was about the sixth or seventh Pitcher and Piano at the time. Uh, and what I have to remind people of a younger, slightly younger age is that Pitcher and Piano was a super cool brand, like an incredibly cool brand and really did reinvent bars and, and food and hospitality. It was founded by uh, a guy who's still around who runs Piper uh, now called Crispin Tweedle in the 80s. And he'd sort of come up with the idea that, you know, wine bars were naff. <laughs> 80s wine bars were naff. Right. And that pubs at the time were sort of for old men drinking warm beer. And there was sort of nowhere in between that was female friendly, that was food, that had a food offer that was half decent, that uh, encompassed all of those things. So he invented Pitcher and Piano. And I was lucky enough to work work there as my very first bar job. It's actually a, a, a very fair analysis of the marketplace of the time, I think. Yeah, I know people, I mean, these brands all became a bit more naff and, you know, like anything, they don't last forever. But uh, at the time, it, it was a really revolutionary idea. And it was for him and his mates. The first one was down in Chelsea, I think. It was for him and his mates to hang out in. And that's how he invented the first one. And then obviously it grew and grew and grew. So so I took up a job as a very green, naive 19-year-old barman 
at this vast site in the city it doesn't exist anymore just opposite liverpool street station it was at 100 bishopsgate and it was about 1100 capacity and it was absolutely bonkers the city had never seen anything like it right. i think so it was a baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was absolutely great fun. And we were only open Monday to Friday. So I had a hospitality job that gave me my weekends off. And obviously I was doing it around college. So I mainly worked evenings. And we just had the most fun it was possible to have, I think, on a bar job. It was, it was sort of, I mean, there are bits of it now I look back at and I think, oh my God. I mean, the, there were famous stories. We used to take the banking, which at the time was all, all cash, obviously, and we used to do sort of something like a hundred grand a week at that site. Wow. Uh, yeah. So we used to take it like three or four, three or four of the barmen would take it in rucksacks round to the post office on Houndstitch. And we'd quite often stop for a pint on the way with about a hundred grand of cash in the bags. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like that, yeah. I look back on now and think, Oh my God, if someone did that in my organization now, I'd brain them. But yeah. um, <laughs> at the time, at the time we had no fear. We were young and it, you never thought of the consequences. Yeah. I don't know why we never stopped for a pint on the way back. We always stopped for a pint on the way there, which I think was stupid. But, um... uh, Dutch courage. If you ever <laughs> no, got, great uh, company. If you ever got held up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But an absolutely great company to work for a great sort of, I mean, again, lots of things that at the time I didn't understand, but looking back in retrospect, they had an incredible sort of people ethos. Then they really looked after their people very, very well, a great team, team ethic and a, a great sort of growing burgeoning company at the time. So, so that was my, that was my kickoff into this crazy world. Yeah. So how old would you have been at this point? I'm sort of 18, 19. Okay. It's when I just went to uni. So uh, so yeah, uh, straight in, straight in at that point. And at the time, you know, again, a very traditional origin story. At the time, it was just a sort of a get by through college job. I never particularly thought that's what I was going to do. It wasn't what I was sort of training to do. And uh, it was it was a it was a sideline. And then what happened then was I sort of kept it going for quite a long time. Again, always as a side side gig, but I moved up into management and then into operations and then into business development and mergers and acquisitions for various other of those chains. I did Slug and Lettuce for a while and Fawcett's and you know all of those kind of mid-market bar chains at the time. Yeah. So that was my that was my entry into sort of uh, understanding how the the back end of all these companies worked as well as as well as the the front end. But even then I never particularly I, I, I never saw myself making this my career because sort of foolishly I I, I couldn't see the pathway particularly, which was which was strange thinking back on it, as I say, because I was given the sort of uh, given insight into into how this could be. But um, at the time, at the time, I didn't think it was. And I then moved back into well, I continued to do what I trained to do, which was in theatre. When I'd worked, I trained as an actor originally. And that's what really? I did for a little bit of time. Yep. Interesting. I drama school in uh, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. Well, and then, you never uh, stop acting in hospitality, up... do you? No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then when I ended up uh, producing theatre and running arts organisations for about 15 years, and wow. what people never realise is that the entirety of theatre and arts organisations tends to take place in either bars or restaurants. Uh, so really, I, I think I did most of my hospitality training when I wasn't actually working in hospitality. Right. <laughs> uh, I was lucky enough to eat, eat and drink my way around the world doing doing that job for, for a decade and a half, which was great. And it was it taught me a lot about hospitality. And as you as you rightfully just said, people always go, oh, that's very different worlds. And I always say they're exactly the same world. 
producing theatre and running restaurants or bars is exactly the same job in, in lots of ways, you know. There's definitely a sense of the cast have to be in the right place at the right time. They have to know their lines. They have to know where their props are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a sense of the curtain going up at that first dinner service, that first table in. That everything has to the set has to be dressed beautifully. So I think there's a there's a lot of similarities in that world. And I think even looking deeper, as I have done over the years, there's a sort of there's a real sense of of the marketing element of this, where you tap into people either buying a theatre ticket or or booking your restaurant for for dinner appeals to the same part part of their brain yeah. in that discretional spend. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of crossovers between those ones. And the producer, of course, fronts up all the risk, just like a restaurant. Yeah, would. there is that as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the bit I'm trying to. Fix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so then I I um I ended up building a, a new theatre up in North London called the Park Theatre in in Finsbury Park, where I was exec director. And when that project came to an end, I was a bit stuck. I didn't quite know what to do. Right. So I persuaded the wife that it was a really good idea to buy a pub, which whilst I would never, ever offer marriage advice to anyone, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's forgiven me now, but that was uh, that was 10 years ago. So, um, <laughs> so we bought a pub and built a pub business because I'd always wanted to go back into hospitality to try and do it from for myself and then to do it from to do it from that end. Uh, and we had great fun, built the Truscott Arms over in Maida Vale and a number of other businesses. And then uh, and then I moved into the to the consulting, to, to the consulting bit of the businesses. So so I went from sort of again, went from the, the pointy end to the back office end working for private equity companies and investment companies looking at hospitality, uh, as well as operational businesses, hotels, bars, restaurants, that kind of thing. Yeah. So out of all of that, sorry, this is a this is a long version, isn't it? Uh, so out of all That's of that, quite short. We're uh, only ten minutes thoroughly... in. Oh, we are. Yeah. God, okay. Yeah, keep going. Um, <laughs> so out of all of that, I thoroughly decided that I I was sort of a bit. I think I got a bit jaded with the industry. If I'm absolutely truthful, right? I thought the way it was running, or the way it was treating people, the way it was it operated as a business model, both in terms of the front end again and and the back end and the money side of things was a bit broken was a bit a bit tired and i think i got fed up of you know dealing with private equity firms who just wanted to see ridiculous multiples of return didn't really care about the people involved in those businesses didn't actually care about the customers at all who wanted to sort of grow businesses regardless of whether they needed or wanted to be grown in order to be able to flog that business to the next mug and hope it went bump on their watch and not his yeah, um, yeah. that I kind of I kind of got a bit a bit fed up with the whole thing so I sort of said I sort of said I was done with running restaurants but the gap I'd seen in the market was how essentially how talent in our industry was getting used and not particularly in a good way by brands and you know there was always that thing of chefs are the new rock stars and all the rest of it and I was seeing a lot of a lot of talent within our industry both chefs and you know barmen and restaurateurs not really communicating with brands very, very well and brands using them from a marketing point of view, but also brands not using them in a very clever way either. So so I saw this kind of gap and in the marketing world and I thought no one's really, you know, there are lots of agencies, marketing uh, consultancies that specialise in sports marketing or sports talent or brand to brand or uh, sponsorships or partnerships, but there was no one really focusing on, on food and drink. And I thought, well, that might be interesting to explore for a while. Yeah. So... So out of that, I set up Salt, 
which as you rightfully said is a marketing consultancy that specializes in food and drink well i i only pulled that off your linkedin profile that's not me being very clever and highbrow it must be true true. and uh and i i will admit i did that thing that i always uh, when i advise any company never ever to do i sort of started without a business plan really in so much i wasn't quite sure where this was going to take me or who it's going to take me on the journey with and i quickly picked up some very very clever people like Elliot Collins who used to run Great British Chefs uh, so he was incredible at the sort of media and talent partnership element and Robert Wigman who we'd done a partnership with Omnicom the big media agency quite early in Salt's in Salt's Genesis uh, and Rob was my client over over at Omnicom and he uh, from day one him and I in a pub pubs will feature a lot in this story <laughs> uh, him and I in a pub uh, he said he said I absolutely love this company I love what you're trying to do with it and at some point I'd like you to get big enough that you can take me with you and about a year and a half later we managed to get slightly big enough to to persuade Rob to come and jump ship and join our Brilliant, team yeah. uh, so he now runs runs salt from a managing director point of view and he is a he's a marketing god there's nothing he doesn't know about about sort of brand partnerships and marketing in that way so he's really taken taken salt to the next level and we've picked up other people along the way and it's been it's been a really fascinating journey that one as I say it started without much of a plan I quickly sort of I saw the niche I knew there was a niche there but I didn't quite know how we were going to exploit that niche but um, what's happened to salt is that it's it's kind of gone in two directions that are, that are uh, absolutely complementary. It does it does marketing for food and drink brands, so it does Moe Hennessy and Pepsi and you know various other people like that, uh, as well as doing marketing consultancy for absolutely not food and drink brands, so Goldman Sachs and Amazon and UBS right, and right. Lexus Cars and various other people. But it, as long as um as long as it touches, as long as they have a campaign or an idea that touches on food and drink, which is a lot of campaigns it turns out uh, uh, then we tend to get involved and then we spread like a nasty weed once we're in we're in um, <laughs> so a great example of that is a couple of years ago we started working with CNBC the business news yeah because these are these are marquee brands that you're that you're they are with. yeah I know our, our little cred sheet looks really good I look at it some days and go blood yeah hell. How have we got Must that? be doing something right. How have yeah. these group of monkeys got that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but CNBC asked us to look at an event they were doing over in China called East Tech West, which is like a big tech thing they do in Guangzhou, where they invite Silicon Valley boys and girls over to China to meet with Chinese tech people for this sort of four-day conference. And we started looking at that. Again, we, we always get invited in on a food and drink perspective, but then we quickly grow into the user journey and the strategy and the and, and the overarching campaign and the and the content delivery and all of those things. So so it becomes a sort of becomes a really everything we do becomes a really interesting problem. And I think that's what I've always loved in my career is, is sitting down for the real head scratching problems and seeing if, seeing if we can come up with a solution and ideally uh, an innovative original solution to any of these problems. And the joy of salt is that no two of these problems are ever the same. Right. Yeah. Um, because what we do is incredibly sort of bespoken. It's for those people. We don't, we don't have hundreds of clients. We have dozens, but the, you know, they all come with their own very, very niche problems to be solved. That must be very interesting. Oh, it's so interesting. And you, you get people like Elliot, who's a creative director, as I say, around the table and see his brain working on these things and coming up with ideas that if you'd given me a, a, a million pound in a million years, I'd never have come up with. Like yeah. they're truly, truly innovators in what they do. And, and working with those guys daily is, is, is a real energizing joy because they, they, you know, anyone who wants to work in that kind of creative solutions 
arena is just constantly on you know they they never have a sort of I don't quite know how I don't know what they put in their morning coffee but they never have a sort of a a down day in that way because it's so challenging and really really interesting yeah Yeah. really fascinating it's it's infectious as well isn't it working with people who are at the top of their game so infectious yeah absolutely and it is that you know it's a it's a cliche but it's absolutely true employee people are a lot a lot better at what they do than you are and that that could not be more true at salt because those guys are, are far better at what they do than i could ever be but it is incredibly effect, uh, infectious those brainstorming sessions and those those creative engagement pieces yeah, you're that almost excited as to what, and internally. what they're going to come up with oh, next so excited so excited and sometimes i just sit in the corner and watch elliot's brain go and think oh what's he gonna say what's he gonna say next what, what madness is going to come out? And sometimes it is mad and we have to rein him in. Yeah. Uh, but uh, quite often, more times than not, it's absolute genius and you go, bloody hell. Well, they do say, right, <laughs> that all, all genius ideas are initially shot at by everyone else because nobody else yeah. is at the same level of thinking. So, uh-huh. And that's that's very true of the boys and girls within Seoul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really uh, would, I don't know if this is a, a, a problem and I'm uh, this is why I'm asking you the question uh, in a public forum. Yeah, go for it. But I would love to sit around mm. the table and just watch that one day not have oh, come any on in. Come on in. in at all but just sit there and marvel i love watching people in their kind of zen zone of creative brilliance it is a it is a, we should sell tickets maybe i should go back to my old theater producing right ways you're absolutely there you right. are maybe there, there you are sort of and i'll take 10 percent for yeah. coming up with the idea in the first place 10 percent for you done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there we are. So all of Salt was really was really devised because I, I told lots of people, if you ever hear I'm going back and running hospitality again, shoot me. So Salt was my way to never, ever go back and, and do hospitality. And I did what I always do. And about two years into Salt, I thought, oh, I really want to go back and run hospitality again. Yeah. <laughs> um, You're the old, uh, the old Steve Redgrave, <laughs> uh, if I ever get back in the boat. Exactly, yeah. 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 Yeah, I was uh, I, I was a bit like that. And, and again, going back to, to my earlier point, once upon a time in a pub, I was sat talking with a guy I'd known for a, for a number of years called Handley Amos, who, you know, a bit like Robin Elliott and Tally and the guys over at Salt, uh, is an absolute genius at what he does. Now, Handley's background is super interesting. He's run everything. He took Nando's from sort of two sites to about 200 billion sites, um, or <laughs> how many they've got now. I think uh, it's about same, 7 billion now, isn't it? Rosso yeah. Pomodoro. Yeah. Seven billion, yeah. It's one for every person on the planet. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he did the same with Rossa Pomodoro. He did the same with Creams. He did the same with Benugo. So he's a serial sort of hospitality MD. And a, the joy of Hanley is that he thinks in... He was a bit like me, actually. Uh, we, we we got back together at a similar time in our in our thinking lives in so much as he was a bit tired of the whole thing. And he was a bit like, it's broken. I don't really want to go and build another chain for the high street that... I don't believe in and I don't believe that customers want that anymore either Mm. Uh, and I don't believe that anyone other than the private equity guys will get anything out of that journey unless you happen to be the private equity guy holding it when it goes pop (laughs) yeah so we sort of said and he was a bit like me he was sort of like I don't want to go and do this again unless we can do it better unless we can improve things and be actual change makers actual agents of change in this world so so we sat in the French house one night and there may have been some beers and some wine later 
it's that, that's weird. A little recurring theme co- coming on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but actually, that's that's a, an idea for you. That, that'll be your book title, and I'll take ten percent of this as well. But the um, is that I'm seeing where this is going here. What, yeah, by the end, I'll have a hundred percent of you. So um, no, that's fine. Yeah. Once upon a time in a pub, an idea was formed. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so we could kick that around, and uh, actually, in fairness, we, we ended up drinking wine until quite late. And he said, "He said I'll come into the office tomorrow at nine. I was like, "Oh, cool, that's only, only about five hours away." Um, okay, uh, and sure enough, he came in with a fully presented business plan because he is a genius. Right. And out of that plan, uh, the seeds of Pepper were formed. You can see what we did there on names. I, by the I way. don't understand. Not, not what, uh, no, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> from salt we got Pepper. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. I know, I know. We're not a creative agency for nothing. <laughs> People pay us big bucks for that kind Simplest of Simplest ideas are, some, are sometimes <laughs> the best, right? <laughs> yeah. And what we started to do with Pepper, this is about two years ago now. We, in fact, maybe slightly longer. Yeah, about, about two years. We started to talk. To, we don't did a lot of talking to people, probably in pubs a lot of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and predominantly chefs we knew or people that were running small independent restaurant businesses or hospitality businesses and said, what are the, what are the, what's, what's broke? What's broke in your world? And, you know, the same things kept coming up. It was the fact that if you are a small hospitality business from one site to five, six, seven, eight, you can't access the same economies of scale. Yeah, that the larger groups can obviously. You know, if you're Nando's buying chicken, you buy chicken at one price. If your Joe Blogs is one off really good chicken roaster, you buy chicken at another price. Yeah. So there was there was sort of the group purchasing bit, but it that was not that was quite la- low down the list. It was really the access to talent, and by talent I don't mean chefs because they you know chefs all know each other and they can all access great great chefs and great bartenders and great waitresses and waitresses and maitres and all the rest of it. What they what they can't do because they, they can't afford it and often they don't know they need it is access that head office talent, access great HR, great property advice, great legal advice, great compliance, great finance advice. That was a big one that kept coming yeah. up. And great strategy either. You know, they're, they're quite often, as we all know, when we start businesses, you've done it, Phil, I've done it. You, you start it and you're, you're everything. You're, you're, you are the HR, you are the um, property, you are the uh, compliance officer, you are the all of these things. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how we all start it. And if you're, a, if you're a chef or a hospitality professional starting your own business, you are all of those things. And it takes the clever ones to realize they're not actually necessarily either very good or particularly passionate about being a great HR person because they're a great chef. And that's what they that's their passion putting great plates of food in front of people is what they absolutely love doing. They don't necessarily love developing a, a learning and development program for staff because that's not, that's not their forte. Yeah. Likewise, they don't love modeling a franchise strategy or looking at their property options in terms of long leases versus short management deals. You know, all of these things, they're not, that's not why they got into this game. However, it is sort of why Hanley and I got into this game because we're, we love all that stuff. We love the strategy behind businesses. We love making businesses more efficient. We love making the people who run them better off, more stable. So we we formed the Pepper Collective as a partnership business, first and foremost. So everything we do, we do in partnership. So again, breaking that old private equity model whereby they own 99.99% of your business and you might get the crumbs from the table if you're lucky. Mm. We wanted to do everything in Pepper as a proper a proper partnership, a proper straight down the middle, no nonsense, transparent, equitable union. 
So we started to bring people into the fold, chefs we knew who were looking to either create their first thing or to expand their existing businesses. And we brought people in who were looking to come into the UK and people from the UK who were looking to go abroad. We brought in wellness businesses. So one of our one of our sort of shining lights at the moment is a business called Pillar. Right. That we're doing in partnership with a personal trainer called Harry Jameson. Uh, who's a fitness god and he he came to us with the concept of uh, we we quite like disruptive businesses as well we quite like things that are slightly messing with the status quo so he said he said gyms are boring and they don't actually work very well for people nutritionists are quite boring <laughs> uh, and the food doesn't taste very nice can we come up with uh, well, he he'd already sort of come up with the sort of philosophy of of pillar which is around the three pillars of well-being that's movement nutrition and recovery and what he wanted to do was create a brand that could that could encompass all of those because the moment you go to your gym and you might go to your nutritionist and you might go to your physio if something's broken but we wanted something that looked a lot more holistically at that and harry uh, being very clever and insightful saw that that could not only exist within within the sort of high street but could also exist within workplace and crossing over to a lot of the work we'd done with clients on the other side of the business, on the on the salt side, you know, the Goldman Sachs and the likes of this, we we could see that, you know, if you're paying these bankers, whatever you're paying them, an awful lot of money a year, you really want them in mint condition. You want them primed and ready to go. And I think that's true of almost any business up and down the scale. Amazon have the same philosophy. So looking at how we do workplace well-being within Pillar has been has been really, really interesting because it crosses it crosses the, the marketplace from just a sort of leisure and hospitality business into a into almost an HR business to business function. It also right. works with landlords. It works with hotel groups. So so I, I love these kind of things that blur that blur the lines. I think we used to exist in a in a business environment whereby, you know, retail was in its own bubble over here hospitality was in its bubble travel was in another bubble wellness was in another and these bubbles never met each other they existed in sort of siloed isolation and I think what I've always tried to do across my various weird and wonderful working bits has always been to blur those lines because I think I think that's where the that's where the really interesting bit of life is in if you can picture those Venn diagrams that have those crossed over circles and the bit in yeah. the middle is kind of the really fun, fun playground to play in. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, re- that's really interesting. I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I mean, I, you know, there is, there's sometimes logic goes out the window in some business decision making. And you just think actually, if you just take a moment to think about the difference you can make just by thinking ever you know even slightly differently from the norm and look at the the yeah. sort of groundbreaking change you can make yeah absolutely and often that's not necessarily inventing something completely bonkers that no one's ever thought of it could be yeah but you know that probably only happens to a certain very few number of people ever in their lifetime but i think you you can achieve the same the same outcome and often a better outcome i think just by just by nicking ideas from other bits of the world you know we can especially in hospitality we can become very blinkered in our world mm. and often don't look wider into into other areas of, of of business of innovation and what can we what can we nick or what can we collaborate on what can we if you if you're less about building walls and you're more you're more open and as i say pepper was fundamentally formed as a partnership business and that's not just some sort of trendy little tagline we we really do believe that what we do is a partnership if we can reach out to other people cross industries cross cross countries cross whatever it might be cross, and cross fertilize and cross pollinate those ideas then it then it becomes something much more than the sum of its parts and i think 
that's why the partnership bit really excites me not just some sort of hippie let's all love each other kind of <laughs> kind of sense um but uh, really as a, as, a, as a hardcore businessman I, I i think it adds huge value to the bottom line of the businesses we're involved with yeah well i mean if you're working in partnership with someone rather than you know steamrollering them into making financial decisions for the benefit of the long-term plan uh, as it were rather than yeah. everything else that comes with that journey, then you're already adding value, I'd say. I, I think so. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. And also, I got I got, I got, got to the point in my career where I just I kept saying I'm too old and too grumpy. I just, I, I want it to be fun. <laughs> I, I want everyone to sort of have a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, and again, that doesn't, that's not just some sort of, you know, lovely ideal. I think, I think businesses that are fun, and I, again, go back to something like Picture and Piano in the mid 90s. We had great fun, absolutely great fun, sometimes too much fun. Yeah. We had a lot of fun in that business. Uh, and I think that's why it was successful and why it did the numbers it did and grew as quickly as it did. It was a really, really fun business for everyone customers, employees, directors, everybody enjoyed that business. So I do think there's, a, there's a, an intangible link between the joy that is at the center of any business and its success. It'd be quite hard to plot on a sort of management graph, but uh, I, I, I fundamentally believe it and I won't be dissuaded from that. So I think if you can if you can have fun on the way and the journey is an equitable one and listen, of course, there's going to be fights and of course you're going to fall out and of course there's going to be tears and tantrums on the way. But if, if, at, the, if at the soul, the very essence and the very soul of a business can have joy as its as its keyword, then I think you're onto something. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I mean, I think, you know, life's too short, right? I'll just drop, life's drop too that short. cliche in again. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. You know, it, we're, uh, we're a long time dead. That's another one. But the it's the same principle, right? I mean, you're let's have a laugh and a giggle while we're, yeah. you know, trying to make a difference. Let's not just be stoic-faced about it. And, you know, I, I think equally, you know, then it comes down to the fact that if you're having fun, you're probably more likely to give yourself a hundred percent to that cause as opposed to thinking well i'm just doing this for practical reasons or whatever yeah uh, it's that it's the old adage of finding your purpose right exactly and effectively it sounds like you guys are almost facilitators of helping people reach their kind of purpose um if they've come up with a yeah. you know a really lovely idea that you also believe in then let's have fun and, and make great business together. Exactly that. And, you know, that goes back to something that actually I'd, I'd always said about myself and my careers. I'm, I'm not sure I, I have any intrinsic talent as such, but if I do have a talent, it's for making other people better at what they do. So, you know, back in my old days of theatre when I was producing, I couldn't direct it. I couldn't, I couldn't do the lighting design. I could, but I could make those people a bit better, a little bit better at what they did. And that was my role. And essentially my role hasn't changed. I can't cook the food that Tom Brown cooks, but I, I could help make his businesses better. So I think that is my absolutely, you're absolutely right there, Phil. I think, you know, a facilitator of purpose is probably, is probably what we set out to do. Yeah. If that appears in your, uh, your marketing plan anywhere then i'll take 10 percent of that, of that yeah, as well yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. <laughs> you you know how it works you know how it works <laughs> I, i've got i've got the gist of this now, yeah. <laughs> that's all i do on the podcast have you not listened to podcasts, um, yeah, yeah I, I own so much of the industry now it's unbelievable 
Um, <laughs> yeah, just none of it in writing. That's all. Um, yeah, that's the problem. Well, it's on podcast. It's recorded somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Is that legally binding? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but it actually, for me, and this is not me blowing smoke up your backside, but it, yeah. it actually feels to me like you really have kind of, you're a, a moment in time business. This is relevant for right now, especially with everything that's going on in the world. I think the opportunity to to reset for a great deal many people is is there right in front of your eyes at this point in time because some people have to because there's no option. But some people are also, I think, looking at the life that they've created for themselves and thinking, is this actually, is this what I was meant to do? And, you know, maybe in that somebody harbors this burning desire. They've just had a really wonderful food concept that doesn't exist anywhere. And they think, how the hell do I get that off the ground? You know, I I know that I like that. So the chances are that there'll be loads of other people that will like that too. But I need help to get it somewhere. So I think you you would probably definitely that you cover off that marketplace if i've got that right yeah i think so um and i think what's 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 really interesting so we did all of that you know we did all of that thinking from the french house from that night at the french house onwards but then and as i say this was all way before any of us could even know what a coronavirus was yeah or an rna vaccine or, or any of the things we've all had to learn in the last year and a bit so this was all pre that and that and, and you know there was there were so many bits of it and it, i think it's an interesting thing about time you know people who say they aren't it was all skill and luck and there was no luck in their business talk absolute nonsense because you need a lot of luck and i've had a lot of good luck and i've had a lot of bad luck and you know the two always come along but i think what hanley and i there was there were so many bits of what Handley and I thought we wanted to change that have and again it's another cliche at the moment been accelerated by the coronavirus or by the pandemic but you know we were we were fundamentally wanting to change one good example we're fundamentally wanting to change the way hospitality businesses and landlords worked together right we thought the the way it was happening especially in London but actually in big cities and across the country that people were paying higher and higher premiums I think the idea of a premium is such a weird idea. It really only happens in our world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, higher and higher premiums <laughs> in order to be allowed the right to pay higher and higher rents. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that just, um, that's a win-win, isn't it? Right there. <laughs> a win-win, yeah. Uh, For one person. In order that you can make smaller and smaller margins out of your business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky you. Well done you. <laughs> you know, if you'd said this to any other business, they'd look at you like you had two heads and rightfully yeah. so. Uh, but that was the way, you know, if you wanted one of those Soho sites or one of those city sites, you had to be beat the next guy and write a bigger and bigger check and this was becoming unsustainable and we were seeing it weren't we we were seeing you know you and I know this but we were seeing the high street littered with the tombstones of brands that were, were you know were paying silly rents and couldn't make it sustainable it's not yeah. profitable well that was happening before this kicked off right I mean oh way before yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no totally yeah yeah so we, so we saw this and thought this, this is not the right way we also thought it wasn't the right way for landlords because yeah great you've got you've got a half a million quid rent on your on your restaurant property but if the guy's not there in a year's time paying it you haven't so would it be better for you Mr Landlord to think about how you might partner with a business and again goes back to partnerships. Yep. how you might partner with a business how you might maybe even have a stake in that business so that your you and your tenant goals are aligned so that this might continue and you all might actually make more money out of it yep. this wasn't about getting asking landlords to take haircuts this was uh, absolutely about finding a way that everybody could benefit slightly more. And in the good times, everyone makes money. And in the bad times, and again, we hadn't 
foreseen a global pandemic. We're not that clever. No. But we, we, we did know that the way it was working at the time wasn't going to carry on forever because it couldn't. And we were seeing that it couldn't. So we started talking, again, pre-pre-pandemic, we started talking to the more enlightened landlords out there, both the sort of big corporate ones like lovely Alice Keown over at British Land, who we're doing a couple of projects with, who is is very, very forward thinking in this way, as well as independent landlords about, listen, if we bought you ideas, what do you need? What do you want in your estate? What do you want this site to be? Oh, well, you know, if we're if we're a big landlord, we want this end to be slightly more high end. We want this end to be a bit more street food and grab and go and casual. OK, cool. Let's let's work together and look at how we might estate plan and how we might curate the sites together doesn't always have to be pepper brands you know we could go out and talk to friends of ours at club mexicana who do a great offer not one of ours but we know Mariel well and you know these kind of ideas how can we all join together and be a bit more open about the things there's a bit less i've got this plot and you can't have it a bit more open and work together and and as i said align our goals align our thinking so that in the good times everyone's making more money and in the bad times we're all in it a bit more together so we started to do these deals and then as we all know january february march last year we all got hit and what has been really interesting and sometimes very sad to see is the real the gamut of relationships that people have with landlords yeah. and how much that that has affected whether they're going to come out the other side of this or not yeah um and we've seen some really good businesses that will that have gone to the wall or will go to the wall in the next period because of those bad deals with landlords. yeah no um, absolutely i think it's also it's it's also important to 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 highlight that Obviously, the media will always play the the part of sweeping statements in in this. There are some bloody good yeah. landlords out there. There are some incredible landlords. Yeah, the the media will not make you believe that in their writing. All old landlords are the demon, basically, is the way that it comes across. Yeah. But I think the the point you make on you know everybody kind of coming away from the the table feeling happy with what's going on rather than feeling railroaded. Yeah doesn't feel like like why is that not the case already you know it's like it, yeah. it's everybody wins so what's the point in having one winner and one loser in a two-way transaction yes yeah. um <laughs> it's it's short term isn't it it's not um it's not something that you can build and and create stability and i've just never really truly understood that it's the same for me as a recruiter there's no sense in me if i feel that i'm getting railroaded on on rate or if i don't feel that we can offer or add value to a recruitment process then there's no sense in in us moving forward because you know one we've all got to feel valued in this process if that's not there then there's no point no no exactly and um i remember years ago we were uh, uh actually when we did the the pub business we were a founding member of the london living wage campaign and i took quite a lot of stick for that because hospitality was by and large against the living wage you know it just saw the it just saw its wage labour bill percentage go up. Yeah. And I was always, uh, I took a bit of flack for that. And I always sort of said, I'm not, I'm not doing this for any other reason other than I believe fundamentally this is going to improve my bottom line. I believe, you know, if, if you're if you're in a more excellent relationship with your staff, paying them properly, looking after them longer. And again, Phil, you might you might not like me for this, but your recruitment bills would go down. You're going to be recruiting no, no, slightly I, less I, often. I'm 100% people are gonna, people are gonna on stay board with that. 100%. And I also believe your sales will go up. So I think it's not particularly it's not particularly hard mass p 
piece to do. Yeah. Pay people properly. They'll be more, they're engaged more with your business. And we are, we are all of us, a customer facing business. You need people who are in, I don't serve every drink or every plate of food in our business, nor will I ever. Mm. I need people who care about my business as much as I do to be serving those plates of food and to be feeling as positive towards our businesses as we do. And there's no point in us sitting in an ivory tower feeling all positive if the guy who's slinging your pint in front of you is grumpy because he's, you know, on minimum wage and doesn't get his sick pay and doesn't get his trunk and doesn't get looked after. That's not a good business yeah. decision. Yeah. No, I, I totally. And, and actually the point you make about, about me and, and recruitment, I, I actually think it would help the, the recruitment industry by, by having a, a more settled workforce. You're always going to have a, a transient time, yeah. but a, um, you know, yeah. what, what you, what happens then in that process is you get rid of the recruiters who view this process as a transaction. Yeah. And actually you get left with the ones that care about adding value and care about the human beings that are, you know, we're affecting the lives of basically. Absolutely. Um, I believe in a utopian and, business. And, and you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can all live in dreams. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I, I think, you know, you and I were doing talks a couple of years ago about the shortage and the, and the, Listen, I think we're not going to see that for the next year or so. No. But the, the shortage of great staff and how do we attract great staff into hospitality? And you're absolutely right. It is about recruitment people like yourself seeing this as a gateway to something meaningful, not just a sort of like, I can get 15% of a little bit of wage here and I don't care whether it works out for them or the company that's hiring yeah. them. That's how we, again, keep, keep the workforce sustainable. Uh, so that's... I don't doubt that we are going to be having those same conversations in a year or two's time about how can we encourage more people back because there aren't enough people Agreed. for the jobs. Agreed. Yet. It's what's the one of the drivers as to why I started the podcast in the first place, which mm. was just to try and raise the positive profile of of the work that gets done in this industry because none of that gets out. No, there's you know there's phenomenal things going on, but of course the the headlines want to to tell everybody that the hours are long and the pay is crap and and everyone shouts at everyone all the time yeah and whilst you know <laughs> there are businesses that no doubt have that environment thankfully these days they're getting found out but also that's yeah. not just restricted to hospitality that's in any sector you'll find a business that is not the right place for you yeah it should, definitely shouldn't be the reason why you don't come in and give this a go yeah absolutely absolutely and i think I think, again, going back to one of the earlier points, I, I think no one quite from the outside understands the diversity of this industry. You can do almost anything. Yeah, well, you're a case if in you point. you want to do high finance and dealing with, yeah, if you want to do high finance dealing with tens of millions of pounds, there, there are bits of our industry that you can do that in. If you want to create beautiful art on a plate, there are bits of our industry you can do that in. If you want to do uh, huge people development pieces across thousands of people workforce, you can do that in our industry. There's almost nothing that doesn't the hospitality doesn't involve at some stage of its of its pipeline. And I think that's the really fascinating bit. That's yeah, and I've you know I've done a bit of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of definitely none. <laughs> <laughs> well my master of bringing people together and making a difference. There you are. <laughs> 10%. Yeah, there we are. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> 10%. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think it's an absolutely, it's a, a massive point uh, on this industry. And I've banged that drum quite a few times on, on this podcast. But also, you know, I wanted to talk to kind of as wide, if I could talk to one person every day on the podcast, I'd, I'd be unhappy 
land if it was making a difference <laughs> to the message it gets out. But the um, the diversity of people's journeys is phenomenal. I mean, there 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 will be billions of ways that you can get to you know your your end destination, and there'll be bumps along the way, and there'll be you know the good times as well. But usually, the best things come out of the 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 tough moments. And I mean, this sounds like a like I'm doing a real long winded wrap up, doesn't it, of the situation that we find ourselves <laughs> in now? But there are there's going to be an awful lot of really good stuff comes out of what we're in. You can already see it, right? I mean, the what I can now get delivered to my front door, yeah. you know, that I couldn't get anywhere near. I did um, Tommy Banks. I had delivered to to my door for oh, yeah. for my wife's fortieth birthday. When would I ever get to Tommy Banks's restaurant unless I was, you know, going on a holiday to Yorkshire? Yorkshire, yeah, yeah. So you know, that's just one example, and uh, I, I pick it because I've I've kind of experienced it firsthand but there are so many yeah. in amongst all of the crap there are so many really yeah. lovely things that i think we've, we've also yet to see fully flourish i think that's absolutely true and i think you know the reason i'm quite as positive as i am now and that is not to take away from the absolute shitstorm if i'm allowed to say that on a podcast yeah yeah uh, absolutely because <laughs> it's it's the only word for... that, that sums it up <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's, uh, it's it's not even a swear word. It's just an accurate description of the last twelve months. Yeah. And you know, I've had a lot of friends who have lost who have lost businesses in the last yeah. twelve months. Good businesses that don't deserve to have been lost. And so I'm not I'm not taking away from the pain and the suffering that uh, that our industry has been through and is still going through and will continue to go through. It's not we're not over yet. No. However, the reason I am so positive is is that I I do see a lot of a lot of the changes that were necessary and you know people often talk about it takes a big recession or a big event like this to reset some of the thinking and I think it really has and I, I think you know everything as you say from the brilliant pivoting of businesses to the deliver at home kits I mean restaurants like Tommy's that you would have never if you say can you get a delivery from at the Black Swan at Ulster I'd have said what are you talking about it's a Michelin starred gorgeous you know it's never gonna do delivery don't talk nonsense and yeah. now he is called by Claire Smith you can now get delivered to your house <laughs> three Michelin star can you letter. yeah you can yeah, yeah right started, I'm sticking that on the list either about to start it or has started it uh, yeah exactly um you know I mean if you just said you could get that on uh, on takeaway you'd have laughed so I mean we used to yeah. I used to talk a lot about hospitality being really really bad and the reason I knew it was really bad is because theatre is also or was also really really bad <laughs> at being omni-channel businesses which sounds slightly like again management bullshit but uh it, what it means is the fact that you know they they do one thing and that's what they do which is fine when you can do that one thing <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't broaden you out you know so if you were a restaurant and you just let people into your restaurant and you sat them on a t chair and you've served them some food and they went again and that was your only channel of income you're quite exposed even and again i was i was talking about this way before a global pandemic but you're quite exposed why aren't you running online masterclasses? why aren't you doing content pieces for brands why aren't you doing delivery why aren't you looking at possibly retail options all of these things and they're not all right for all businesses so it's not a one-size-fit-all no indeed we must milk this thing because it's not right for everything but why aren't you hooking up with cool festivals? Why aren't you using the space during the day for co-working? Why aren't you? Like, all of these things give you more channels. So the omni-channel bit of that, you know, you need more revenue streams in your business. And and what we've seen in this in this recent period is that those who either had them before or created them during will be the ones that come out slightly better. Yeah. And are willing to think. And again, again, it goes back to my blurring of 
blurring of the bubbles, blurring of lines between different industries. You might think you're a restaurateur, but if you could also be a co-working space operator, because actually your place is dead between nine and five and you only kick off at five o'clock in the evening, your site, then great. If you could get some income from that, that's income. Absolutely. If you can host bands doing recording sessions in the morning, great. <laughs> These things are great fun. They they all drive they drive trade in, in in surprising ways outside of just whatever that revenue stream is. So so the omni channel business bit is something every business we do has an omni channel element to it. And as I say, it's not always all of those because they're not always all right. But everything we do has has a lens on okay this is the core of the business the core of the business is serving food and drink to folk who sit down in your restaurant great what else can we do yeah where else can we take yeah this? yeah and i think that's that's that is something that is come out of it and as you say from from tommy's boxes to to other people who are doing similar things to ways uh, i mean hospitality has always been really good at engaging with its communities by and large and pubs pubs for me have always have been for hundreds of years at the forefront of that there's a campaign called Pub is the Hub that, again, is about 10 years old, I think now. It does really good work around community engagement in pubs and pubs engagement with communities. And I think we've, we as an industry have always been really good at that. And we've been shown to be absolutely at the vanguard of that thinking during this pandemic. And the way hospitality, which has been the hardest hit, has also been the most to step up and feed the NHS and feed communities and look at community food banks and look at free school meals and holiday meals for, for kids. You know, I think, I think it's been, it's been jaw dropping what our industry has Absolutely. done in the last year. Absolutely. Say, it's done all of that, despite the fact it's been the hardest hit. Yeah. But I, that that's probably comes down to deep down the, uh, you're in amongst these businesses that have done these things and offered the, these services out for no kind of thought of any kind of return is that that's, that's yeah. deep rooted in a hospitality ethos, right? That's a, a hospitality mentality right there yeah. is to serve people, is to uh, what can I do to yeah. make people feel better or more special? Absolutely. And that's that's been, I think, I hope we don't forget this and I hope we don't just revert back to, yeah. to balance sheets. And you know, I, yeah. I'm not naive. I, you know, We need profit in business, otherwise there's no business. But I think if you're if you're doing it purely to to grow something into bigger, bigger, bigger pound signs, then I think you get found out eventually. You do. You 100% do. And I think we're seeing that uh, these these things always tend to come from where the money lies. And I think we're seeing it from an investment point of view. We're seeing investment people wanting to invest in businesses that are more sustainable environmentally, but also more sustainable in people. You know, we we talk a lot about the triple bottom line. So it's, it's profit people planet peppers going through its uh, B Corp accreditation at the moment. And we're really, this is, this has led to a lot of really interesting internal thinking because, because it does come exactly like you were saying, Phil, we can't not have profit because there's nothing less sustainable than a business. That goes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, you first of all, got to make sure you can keep the lights on, but it does, it leads to internal debates and wrangling over, well, what do we do? Because we want to do, we want to live by the B Corp. If anyone hasn't looked that up, by the way, look up B Corp. I, I think a lot of people know it, but some people have never heard of it. But it's it's a fascinating uh, accreditation scheme around, it's, it's for all businesses, not just hospitality businesses, but around the way the way you do business. So it looks at your people, it looks at the, your uh, impact on the planet and the environment, as well as your governance and your societal goals. So it's, it's a super interesting, interesting project. But as you said, it, it does, it does cause internal wranglings because, if you went, oh, we should give all our food and drink away for free forever. 
that would be great. Yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> you won't be here next week. No, indeed. <laughs> we should pay people a hundred pound an hour. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> you won't be here next week. So, so how do you how do you make those choices and those balances between between those seemingly conflicting? But as you said, I think ultimately a lot of those choices you make will make your business last longer, be more sustainable, and ultimately be more profitable. Even though in the short term it might not seem that. Yeah. I think that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it, if you're only only making decisions based out of short termism, yeah, then you know, you, I think the majority of businesses when they start can take short term hits. It's a, it's the the word you used is balance. I think you've just got to get yeah. the the balance right, not neglect any one area of that, but you know, yeah. and 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 give them all their fair share of time. And and just you know, I think that on the people side of things, I just think there's some really simple things that people can do to engage their workforce more meaningfully, rather than oh, I'm just coming in to do my job and then I'm going home, you know. Yeah. And that just comes down to respect, you know, respect the individuality yeah. of the human that walks in your your business. And yeah. you know, there's there's too many people that look at them as kind of a one size fits all. So you're there's a, a great guy. He's actually featured on the on the podcast way way back in the the beginning. A guy called Jim Knight. He's a culture god. Talks about the fact that as soon as you create a culture in your business, whatever that culture may be, as soon as one person leaves that, your culture has changed. You know, and then somebody else comes in, and they'll have different. You know, at whatever level this is, this is not leadership or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's so true. It's so true. And we take that for granted. Um, we just think that we can cookie cut and get somebody else in who's exactly the same, but nobody's exactly the same. No, uh, there's always little nuanced differences. But that—that's the joy of our business, isn't it? Yeah. Is that it is a human business. Therefore, it's constantly changing and evolving. And you know, if you if you if you could sit down and write a business plan that never ever changed, and that was the answer. Well, that would be really yeah. boring. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge, as you say, is that that general manager leaves or that ops director leaves or that managing director leaves. And each one of those has an impact on the business and the culture. And therefore, you're constantly having to having to refine that thinking. Uh, and also your customers change. Customers are not a static thing that always want yeah. exactly the same thing. And, and you know, what we've seen happen to, to mid-market fast casual dining and, you know, the the speed of that change caught so many of them off guard. Mm. So many of them were no longer what suited them 20 years ago. They were like, well, that will just always suit everybody. It's not true. No. And actually, I think we have to think in, in this in this time, in a, it, all of our businesses, you know, we used to do sort of grand 10-year plans. I now do a five-year plan because I don't think, I think after that time, you're going to have to rip up that plan. You're going to have to evolve it, evolve it during that five years. But that, that plan will be fundamentally wrong in five years' time. Yeah. And there are very few of those businesses. You know, we always want Le Gavroche to be Le Gavroche, right? Uh, and we don't want that to change ever. And that's great. But you don't need too many Le Gavroches in your life. I don't know how often you go. I imagine you're there every day. For this, but, um, <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you want a few of those places. But for the rest of us who live in the more real world, it's, you know, you want those businesses to change and and completely reinvent themselves quite often, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, J- Jamie's is a prime example, right? A prime example. Uh, you know, there just wasn't with the best will in the world, there wasn't enough evolution. No. And and I th- and I think you you know, as a business owner, you start a business because you're passionate about something and you want to do something. But at some point you have to change your mindset into thinking, okay, well, we've got something here, but what do our 
customers want? What do our clients want? And you have to make that mind shift change. You can't just assume that what you like is what everybody's going to like until the end of time, because that's just definitely not the case. Exactly. No. And it's very arrogant to assume that as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and we are here to we are here to serve customers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of in any business form, right? Yeah. And not just front facing no, uh, yeah. uh, restaurants and, and the like. But um yeah, well this is No, and I think yeah, go on. I was just Sorry, gonna go. say this has been one of the uh the, the most entertaining and oh. off the cuff conver- I wasn't expecting it to go this way <laughs> to be honest, but um <laughs> but it's it's really it's cool. It's been great fun. Yeah, no, I, I and I really it's appreciate great. you kind of sharing so much of your your thoughts on this because I think there's a, an awful lot of relevant stuff in here you'll be glad to hear and uh, <laughs> I I would hope that that people would listen to this and and kind of you know some of it would go yeah okay I kind of get that yeah I hope so because I think I do believe that now is a great time to either be expanding what you're doing changing what you're doing to rethink to rethink it even if you come up with the with the answer of do you know what I was doing it right and I'm going to carry on that's great that's a great thing to have done but to have asked yourself that question uh, now is a really really exciting time and listen once pubs open I'm always available for a pint <laughs> to talk this over with anyone who's interested <laughs> and uh, I'll even do it on a zoom call before the pubs reopen but um so I guess people can people know people can find me via somewhere can't they I expect well, yeah. I mean, what's the best method for people to get a hold of you? Well, LinkedIn, I suppose. LinkedIn's fine, actually. I, I, I love talking about this stuff. And I love, uh, again, going back to that, again, that very first bit that you and I talked about just now, Phil, the excitement of this, the the addiction I have of talking great ideas with really passionate, interesting people is what is what gets me out of bed in the morning. That and my kids being up. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, I mean... I- Assuming all goes according to plan, what's uh, what's next in the pipeline? What have you got coming up this year? Oh, we're opening lots of really fun stuff. Is the short answer? We've got uh, we reopened. We opened a restaurant on the third of December and closed it again on the sixteenth of December last year. So that was that was our shortest opening. So we're reopening that one in Ealing called Soane's Kitchen. Uh, we're doing a big project in the city with British Land. We're doing a project in Edinburgh. Pillar will have its first site uh, open this year. So yeah, really, really, really positive, really exciting, slightly bonkers uh, amount of things we're trying to achieve this year. So, Well, that all sounds very, very diverse and interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All good. Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, likewise. It's been a real, real blast having, a, having you on the show and uh, I wish you all the very best with everything you've got planned. Good. Thanks for having me. Take care, Phil. You too. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Well, what a cracker of a chat that was. Andrew chats with such energy and vigour, it's clear that he's doing what he was meant to be doing. We wish him and his businesses all the very best with all their projects. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.